Coming up next, the booketing reads The Great Gatsby. What? Welcome to the Booking. Happy New Year. This is the first year, or this is the first year we're recording after last year. Yeah, that sentence works. This is the first year after last year that we're recording. Welcome back. Happy New Year to everyone. Last year, 2018, I believe it was, we recorded some fine Booking episodes, some of my personal favorites. This year, we are recording more Booking episodes. I trust some of them will be good. Some of them won't be as good as other ones. But they'll all have a certain something. Namely, Brandon Chastine, the scholar who's a baller of reading. Hey! <laughs> hey, Brandon! Hey, Nathan! Tell me, congratulations! Congratulations, Nathan! Thanks, Brandon! On, and a, on a new year. Yeah! Congratulations, Nathan! Thanks, Jake! Con- that- con- oh, go ahead. Congratulations for still being alive! Yeah! That's yeah. fine! Thanks, guys! You're welcome! More than happy yeah. to be alive in the year uh, 2019. Why, why is that? Yeah, you know, doing the booketing, whatever. Yep, no other reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talking about Great Gatsby with my friends. Brandon, you do anything fun? This is, we should explain, we recorded episodes with the great Danny McNeely uh, through the Talking About Dickens that can't kind of drop through Christmas, and then we had our Redux, which we recorded before the holidays really hit. Then we all went and had our holidays. Oh, and I'm Nathan, your humble and obedient host. Brandon, do you have any fun holiday adventures? Uh, well, <laughs> sure. Jake, your thoughts. Uh, I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> Did you do anything fun for the holidays? Oh, sure. Like what? Nothing. How about you? Did you do anything fun? I had any some... exciting adventures? Yeah, I, did. I had a few exciting adventures. Uh, like what? Oh, you know, read some stuff, did some things. Yeah? Yep. What kinds of things? Spent some time with, oh, I suppose I should tell our listeners. Tell right, them. Brandon? Yeah. They don't, deserve to know. You They've them. been a part of this journey with you. They've been a part of this you journey. You hung out with us on New Year's Eve. Yeah. Something that's else. True. That's at my right. house. That's was there something else exciting that happened to him? Well, not as exciting as that. Yeah. You also hung out at my house on Christmas Eve. Yeah, I did. We're yeah. actually all pretty good friends in real life. That's yeah. part of the magic of the show. True yeah. enough. Every once in a while, we don't record our interactions. My top three things that I did. I, in no particular order, I spent New Year's Eve at Jake's house. Without Brandon, yep. spent. I was not there. Brand, Brandon was not there. He was doing something else. I don't know what. You spent were there for New Year's for Christmas Eve. He said New Year's. New oh, Year's Eve. That was it. New Year's Eve. You oh. did say New Year's. Okay, I'm messing it up. I was not at Christmas Eve. No, no, you were not at Christmas Eve. But my brother was. Yes. Yes, your brother was. He's like you, only he's got a different personality and he looks different. Yeah. He was. Did you know he was uh, related to Francis Scott Key? Your brother, <laughs> your no. brother is related to Francis <laughs> Fitzgerald, <laughs> Scott Key. Yeah, since the Scott, right? Yeah, it's old Scotty. Yeah, you do the context this time. No, I'm not doing the context, Brandon. Yeah, you do the context. I want to finish talking about my topic. I don't things. want to do the context anymore. I resign. No, you can't. We have you on, on an ironclad contract. Literally, it's ironclad, and it's yeah, ironclad around my chest, mm-hmm. so I can never forget it. Yep. 
anytime I pretend like I'm even going to leave, you just hot iron poker onto the contract and it like heats up the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Wow. It's yeah. really elaborate and entirely legal. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> At least they keep telling me that. It's binding in more it's ways binding. than one. Yes. This is because contract is very binding. Hey, Nathan, I have it on good authority that the F in F. Scott Fitzgerald also has something to do with Francis Scott Key. Well, did he use like an F in his music composition of that famous song? Is that yeah, what you're trying probably, to tell me? Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. His real name is F Sharp. F Scott Sharp Fitzgerald. <laughs> <Scott> Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> so, top three things. This. What are your top three things from the holidays, Brandon? Oh man, getting home on New Year's Eve and going to Jake's house. Yeah. Drove. Got up at like 4 a.m. in Texas so yeah. that he could be at my house. That's right. For mm-hmm. New Year's Eve festivities. That night, drove all day to get <laughs> there. The best mm-hmm. decision we made. That was a fun night. Yeah, that was a fun night. It was I, fun. I certainly I'm enjoyed myself. What were your top three things from the holiday, Jake? Brandon only got like one in before you... Well, the other one was seeing oh. my grandmother. I always love seeing my grandmother. You saw your grandmother, you left Texas, and you yeah. had a fun party at Jake's. Jake, your answers? Well... Had friends over for parties, and that was fun. All right, that's one. Went and saw family. That's two. Okay. Two of my closest friends and coworkers also had a great time, and I'm happy for them. Yay. Mm-hmm. That's, those are good things. Uh, my top three would be I went to some cool parties, I got some cool gifts, and I got engaged. What's that sound? <laughs> It's the devil's advocate alarm. <laughs> it's the... It's the um, wait, 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 wait. What, Nathan? What, what was that last one? I didn't quite understand oh, what you I said. Oh, I don't know. I've, what I'm trying to say is I had a good holiday, Jake. Uh, Brandon is the to contextual Texan. He just fired off his guns. No, I'm, I'm just kidding around, folks. I got engaged to the great Meredith future. Uh, I think she's... What do we call her? The incandescent Meredith. Indeed. It will soon not be supporting the book His name is me shutting that off. Right. <laughs> She'll be supporting it in other ways. Um, and she already does, you know? She's um, she, she's like, hey, I listened to that episode of the booketing. It was good. And I'm like, thanks, Meredith. And then she kisses me or something like that. I don't know. Whatever engaged people do. Jake, yeah, your thoughts? I support your engagement to Meredith. All right, I'm 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 glad to hear it. It was your idea for crying out loud? Kind of was, yeah. <laughs> nah, it was my idea, but uh, um, Jake did mention that. Hey, there's this Meredith chick that you might want to become friends with. The first woman that I had met in any recent memory where I thought to myself, "Huh, I could actually see that working out with Nathan." Yeah, and to be fair, you did say as much. But then, then I said, eh, "It'll never." It was like a classic yeah, romantic was, he comedy. Was like, no way! No way! <laughs> <laughs> One month later, yeah, I was <laughs> <laughs> picking out flowers for the reception. Um, Brandon, your thoughts? It wasn't that quick. No, it wasn't that. Quick. <laughs> My thoughts on it was slightly quicker. Your engagement? Um, yeah, a hell and hearty yeehaw to it. Uh, he, uh, hell and hearty hail. Oh, hail. And hearty. hearty. Yes. Not a hell. A hell and hearty yeehaw to it. A hell and hearty yeehaw. And this is going to be my first time listening to a context from Brandon Chastine as an engaged man. Am I excited? Yes, man. I am. Because there's nothing like being engaged and, and listening to Brandon Chastine talk about the great Gatsby. I'm always engaged whenever Brandon gives context. I have no idea what you're talking that about. That is true. A little wordplay from Jake Menzel. A master That's what of I'm known for. <laughs> you still haven't even introduced me yet. Have I not? You're, you're, <laughs> no. the, you're the pastor who's a master of reading. Thanks. And I'm your humble and obedient host. 
and Maybe we're all introduced yourself. Yeah, I, I dare Brandon. I dare say that it's feeling a little left out. Well, what's your name? <laughs> I guess I can't really console you for having forgotten you <laughs> while forgetting your name <laughs> and calling you someone else on the show. I dare say to to go along with Jake's wordplay. I dare say every person listening to the show is about to be engaged along with me as we listen to Brandon Chastine's masterful context. Oh boy! I dare say yeah. for a great book regarding the Great Gatsby. We'll be getting a good context. Yep. So we're going to read. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald Probably was born in least. 1896. Are you reading from the In St. Paul, Minnesota, and went to Princeton University. Have I explained why the gunshots which, happened? The gunshots oh. happened because Brandon is the t- textual Texan. <laughs> People might be tuning in for the first time. It's a new year. They might. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe their resolution was to find some great literature podcasts by Christians. Those people, people have already them. left. <laughs> yeah. People people told them that they should listen to we're, we're in the friend zone only right now. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and those people are now listening to close reads. No. We like Kernsey, as we call him. Old DC. Oh, DC. DK. DK, Donkey, Donkey Kong. Kong. Yeah. Donkey Kong. <laughs> Donkey Kong. <laughs> David Kern country. That's... Breaking those barrels. Mm-hmm. Jumping over ravines. Mm-hmm. Getting those life balloons. Mm-hmm. That's probably what David Kern's doing right now. Uh, Brandon? <laughs> while he's reading a book. <laughs> while having some great thoughts about if people, uh, if, if any of our fine listeners don't know who David Kern is, he's the host of Close Reads, another Christian literature podcast. You can go listen to that over at the Cersei Institute, wherever fine podcasts are downloadable. Brandon, you're the contextual Texan. You provide context for do. the books that we read. Yeah, the books I do. that we read this year. One of them, one of many, I hope. Mm-hmm. Is the great the great Gatsby? Isn't that something to put the word "great" in the title of your book? Yeah, it's something. Mm-hmm. Makes you wonder. Yeah, old old Tolstoy it... didn't call it "Great War and Peace." No, or the fantastic Anna Karenina. Yeah, the fantastic Wizard Fox is a. I guess Wes yeah. Anderson and F. F. Scott Fitzgerald share something in common. Yeah, along the... with J.K. Rowling. That's interesting. Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, my friend. That's right. That's I true. could see Wes Anderson as being kind of a new. F. Scott Fitzgerald. Hmm. He could have named his character Mr. Fantastic and had something in common with Stan Lee or somebody. That's true. Or the Magnificent Ambersons. That's another example. Uh, for Ford Maddox Ford. Did he write the Magnificent Ambersons? Probably all right. I, I don't think I am, actually. No, that was Orson Welles. Orson Welles did the movie, but it's based on a book by... I actually by... His uh, name starts with an F, and he wrote in the first half of the 20th century, or the last, later half of the 19th, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's the Booth Tarkington. Booth Tarkington, of He's course. He's an Indiana writer. Yeah. I've been told that's a very good book. And but actually, a good segue because it was written in 1918. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking right, Booth Tarkington was more of a popular writer. Have you read any Booth Tarkington before? I think I've read something by Booth Tarkington. Yeah, he was actually born in Indianapolis, Indiana, so he is an Indiana boy. I really like that name, Booth Tarkington. That's the kind of name, well, you can see, if you listen to Sound of Sanity, we got Stone Huntington. That's a kind of a very Booth Tarkington kind of a name. I like that name. In the 1910s and 1920s, he was considered America's greatest writer. Okay. But he was much more um, traditional in his style. He wrote books like The Midwesterner that would have been probably closer to Willa Cather mm-hmm. than, and then the books we're reading here, <clears throat> The Great Gatsby. I suppose, in, because, I, I assume in like year 24 or something of the bookening, we will get to some Booth Tarkington probably. Yeah. He lived in Indianapolis until his death in 1923. In, in Indianapolis? Indiana, in Indianapolis. But that's a... Uh... <laughs> Thank you, Nathan. 
<laughs> it's actually a good segue into F. Scott Fitzgerald because F. Scott Fitzgerald was anything but your normal run-of-the-mill writer. He was always attempting to be cutting-edge, innovator, the artist, because he was in this era when modernism, we've talked about the era of modernism mm-hmm, before. We have. <laughs> you are in a good mood. I'm contributing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> F. Scott Fitzgerald, he, he stepped right off that mill. He did. He stepped right off that, what? Yeah. Modernist mill. The modernist, oh, the modernist mill. He, he wasn't running the mill. He was... <sighs> yeah. And so... Spirit Ains. And days gone by, a needle pulling thread. That's the first one of the year, folks. You're welcome, people. And there will be many more until such time as I get tired of that bookening meme. It's which, the bookening drinking game. Every which, time we say so. So is one of those words that yeah. uh, <laughs> you get pretty drunk pretty quick. You know, Take a shot of champagne since it's New Year's. Now, to be fair, Brandon, when you say so and then it's followed by other words, I do not insist on inserting my phrases. I have a tendency to say so. In a very pause. declamatory, fun, and then I just think it's fun to, to throw in a couple. Yeah, and by now it could very well be that I'm just playing off of that. Yeah, you... Perhaps. Yeah. Perchance to dream. Perchance to dream. So... A needle pulling nope. thread. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm going to get a new one. Uh, uh, a new expression for this year. Okay. Hark. <laughs> <laughs> the Herald Angel Sing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Booth Tarkington. A needle pulling thread. <laughs> yes. Was not F. Scott Fitzgerald. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But F, you know who was? Was F. Scott Fitzgerald. And that's who you're about to talk to. Brandon, yeah. one, two, three, go. Let's do it. All right. All not right. running the mill. He stepped right off that mill. So let's set the stage. All right. Early 1900s. Well, well, I just read it, didn't I? He was born in 1896. Is that what we said? And he was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. So when he talks about the Midwest, Mm -hmm. like the actual literal Midwest of the world, he's talking about this sort of area where he grew up. Not San Francisco? Yeah, not San Francisco. The world that he knew, the world that he grew up in. He had a fairly happy childhood, from what I could tell. His mother gave him a good education. He had some money growing up. He got a solidly upper middle class education and lifestyle. People saw his talent for literature fairly early on. His mother tried to develop this in him. And also a teacher in one of the schools he went to, in, I think it was his high school, saw his talent and really encouraged him to go and write for the school newspapers. And then he decided he wanted to be a writer. And so he went to Princeton. And this is significant because Princeton would be the basis for his first novel, which at first was called, what was that? The video. He just decided to start playing a video no, while you were talking? What video? He's watching Instagram stories or something. Yep. Um, no, sorry, folks. I wanted to this start is... uploading the video for the behind the scenes Patreon while paying full attention to Brandon. And... This is how much uh, attention I get while I'm doing this. Brandon, I said I was going to give you my full engagement. You had my full attention. I was I, engaged. I bet. Oh. More engaged than Nathan. Oh, more engaged than Nathan. Okay, well, I'll give you that. Hashtag engaged yeah. 2019. You can't be more engaged. I literally have a woman that wants to marry me. Um, I'm married. That's he's like, married. He's been engaged. Yeah, but that's a, you're not engaged anymore. now. You have no. an ex-fiance. Okay, so okay. Get, getting back to this. <laughs> yes, I'm and sorry. this I'm side back. of paradise, well, this side of paradise would be his first successful novel. It was his first novel. It was actually based on the book he wrote desperately before going to fight in the war, in World War I, because he thought he was going to die. And so he really wanted to be a published writer. He got The Romantic Egotist, is what it was called. He got it written down, sent it to a publisher. I think Simon & Schuster, they declined it, said, no, we're not going to publish this, but we want you to keep developing your talents. So he went to war, didn't die, came back. 
And he got that book eventually published as This Side of Paradise, and it was extraordinarily successful. The, f- the first thing then to realize about Fitzgerald, to take away from that, is that he always wanted to be a writer, but he wanted to be a writer of a certain caliber. He didn't just want to be a storyteller. He didn't want to just be your run-of-the-mill, like we said, writer. He didn't want to be Booth Tarkington. He didn't want to even be Dickens. He wanted to be one of these innovators, one of these guys who was in the limelight of the literary world. And that's because at the time, shortly after World War One, and even before then some with like Keats and the Romantic Poets, and you had the newspapers they would start. So you had these little in, in W.B. Yeats and the poets that surrounded him, you had these literary cliques, these literary circles that people would try to model themselves on. He really wanted to be that kind of writer. So what that would look like at the time, right after World War I, we've talked about this with uh, Hemingway before, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys, a lot of the writers in America would become disenchanted with American life. They became disenchanted with commercialism. They became disenchanted with capitalism. They became disenchanted with modern life after World War I. They saw the death, the horrors of war. They couldn't handle it anymore. So they went and they moved to France together. And they became called the, they became the expatriates. That's what they called themselves. The ringleader of the expatriates was Ernest Hemingway. And um, T.S. Eliot would sometimes go and be, be a part of this group, but they would all stay like in the, the living room of Gertrude Stein. Mm-hmm. And if you've ever seen the Woody Allen movie, Midnight in Midnight Paris, in Paris yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it's based on the expatriates. So the Owen Wilson's character, he goes out and he meets the expatriates. Mm-hmm. And so you had, um, who's the famous? Uh, Hemingway. Dada. Oh, uh, oh uh, Dolly? Dolly. No. Yeah, Is he meets Dolly. Dolly. Yeah. Yep. So a young Dolly would have been there. The guys who would become really famous in the 50s and 60s, kind of selling him out, himself out, yeah. Dolly. But they, they were all there pursuing this intense vision of art. Mm-hmm. And that's really the way to look at it, is that it was a vision of how art could both capture the angst and the depression and the sorrow they were feeling after World War I, and also then give them some new meaning. And so that's exactly what happened in 1922 with The Wasteland. Um, T.S. Eliot's response to this, and he kind of spearheaded the modernist movement, was to literally write a poem showing how all the past is broken into pieces. You know, all these things I've shored against my ruin is one of the last lines of the poem. And then it just goes into nonsense. But kind of the point of the wasteland is that despite the nonsense, through the music of the poetry, through kind of what he's trying to say, he can actually almost, he can find a way to save the world through art, at least those who are in the know those who have the intelligence and artistic fortitude to get on board with him. So this was modernism. Kind of a nasty thing, really. One day I hope we get to do T.S. Eliot, because T.S. Eliot's an amazing story. He started all this nonsense, then he eventually becomes a Christian, and then he writes his great poetry after that. Mm -hmm. But his greatest poetry being... Memory all alone in the moonlight... <laughs> the script for cats. <laughs> ah. Okay. <laughs> it looks good, Gil. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's... We should, we should tell people what the actual answer to that... Oh, yeah, it's Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Yes, which was famously adapted into a slightly successful musical by Andrew Lloyd Webber called Yeah, cats. unfortunate, but maybe not too unfortunate. That. A fantastic book of poems. Mm-hmm. And so with modernism, to really understand modernism and where it came from, you have to understand the sort of progressive scientism and the progressive, just, well, really just the belief in progress and the ability to save the world through technology that drove the American industrial machine up through 
the late 1800s into the 1900s, took advantage of the poor, took advantage, like we see that all over Dickens. Right. right? Dickens wrote about the evil side of this sort of mechanism that was taking place. And then what happened is it became such a machine that when it actually got to the point where the machine went to war, it killed millions and millions and millions of people. And it was awful. And everybody was shell-shocked. Everybody was devastated. Everybody thought God had died. Nobody knew how to handle the devastation of World War I. You had whole small cities wiped out in the Midwest, all of their young men dead. And it was awful. This sort of devastation is what led, or at least gave fodder to the nihilism and the art worship that would happen in the 1920s. And then not just that, but also the sex and drugs and alcohol worship as well, because they go hand in hand. These people wanted to worship art and what art gives you when it's not tethered to any real sense of the world, reality, religion, to God, gives you pleasure. That's all you have. And so what did Fitzgerald do? He went and he uh, famously tied himself to this girl named Zelda, Mm -hmm. not the warrior princess or whatever she is. I think she was a princess. Just a princess. And then she became a warrior princess. Is she a warrior princess now? I don't In the original so. Zelda, she was just a... She's just a princess. Dress, That's right. Link is the warrior. Yeah, she's and he's not even a princess. Sometimes she puts on like a ninja outfit <laughs> and does stuff though. Now I forget what her name is when she does that. At least yeah. she did back in my day. I haven't played a Zelda game for a while. But we'll take a step back in a minute and talk yes. about the women in his life. Mm-hmm. But Fitzgerald, he fit right into this. And so he wanted to be a great writer, but he also wanted his pleasures. And so he became an alcoholic and a notorious alcoholic. It's interesting. You hear of someone that this happens to, it becomes this sort of person. You just wonder what happened to him Mm -hmm. to make him this way. There aren't a whole lot of things you can find about his father. You know that his father was um, a businessman, and you know that his mother really was driven to make him succeed educationally, but it is interesting. You wonder why he became the drunken Fitzgerald. But then Hemingway was also that way, so it was just the way that the men were at this time. Um, True or false? Fitzgerald is the most famous literary drunk. Yes, true. I didn't. True. I, I did not have any particular insight about yeah. that. I'm just trying to think if there was anybody that was more is, is the stereotype of Hemingway's the, pretty. Yeah, Hemingway and him, I suppose, yeah. would be the two. You know, when you think about the guy in the wife beater at the typewriter with the cigarettes and the bottle of booze, that's either Hemingway or Fitzgerald is where that yeah. step that stereotype kind of comes from, though. Yeah, but I haven't really ever completely teased out the relationship, but I, uh, I'm convinced there, ha- there is a relationship between what became the 1920s and either in the art worship that was in the 1920s and the devastation of World War I that happened as well. And whether it was just giving people excuses to pursue their pleasures that was already there, or if it was a way for them to deaden the memory of it, mm-hmm. or both. Could have just been both. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a little bit of both. I know it was both to an extent, for Hemingway. I'm no social historian, but the horrors of World War I are so, were just psychologically catastrophic for people. Yeah, it was a brutal, devastating war. Yeah. And the first of its kind, in a way that I don't even know that World War II, I mean, how do you compare them, but... Well, I mean, then there are reasons that these two wars caused psychological shifts Mm -hmm. in world history. So after World War I, you get modernism. Right which the idea behind modernism is the world is cold and dead to us. And the only way to make sense of it is to be cre- to create. And to create, you create in response to the deadness of the world. And World War II comes and everybody's like, well, 
not only is the world dead to us, but society's dead to us, and even art to an extent is dead to us. So all you do is you create yourself, and then postmodernism is born. So it's kind of the two major psychological shifts that happen after these two devastating wars. So you have modernism, you have the coldness of it, you have the only response is art in the face of death. Anyone who's read The Great Gatsby, you know that this is one of the biggest themes of this book, is how do you live a life that is meaningful in the face of a world that is indifferent towards you, especially a social hierarchy that is indifferent towards you? Mm. Is what Gatsby does in light of what happens to Gatsby still enough to call him great, right? You mean in an existential sense, he was great yeah. because he invented Because he was the American from, ideal. From nothing. Right. Is there some sort of greatness in Gatsby or is it just completely an ironic title? And I think that Fitzgerald's enough of an artist and enough of a uh, slick fella mm -hmm. <laughs> that the answer is not that easy. No, it's not. Well, you think we'll have the answer by the end of our discussion, Brandon? No, I don't. Because I'm not sure. Well, I think we will. I'm not sure Fitzgerald actually had the answer. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that I was reading is that Fitzgerald was obsessed with time. Mm -hmm. And that he would often write with clocks and calendars all around him. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, this makes sense for someone coming out of, both out of World War I and also someone who was mildly narcissistic, someone who really wanted to make themselves into this important person. You see it, you see parallels in literature. All of Shakespeare's sonnets are about time, mm -hmm. really, and the how time will destroy artistic endeavors and you will never be able to beat time. And that's the great theme of most poetry and literature is how cruel it is that we have to die mm -hmm. and also experience life. Jake's worst villain of 2018 was time. Yeah, that's right. Was it? It was. It was? Yeah. You are a literary genius. I would not remember that Obviously. except for that I actually yeah. I actually listened to that episode a little bit. I don't usually listen to our episodes after I, I don't, do I've, the. I've stopped listening to them. But too. I listened to that one, and Jake says, and I highly encourage other people to listen to them. But yeah, other people just well, yeah, stop we listening. Just we live conversation. Them. Yeah, we we're live talking them. this right now. They have yeah, to listen we did to it. Right. They have to it's, do this in real yeah. life, man. Right. You guys get the filtered content. Mm -hmm. They so, hear things you people will never imagine. <laughs> yeah. Help me remember what... Well, my friend, time killed Charlotte and made Charlotte. Fan, little Fanny grow up. Charlotte. Charlotte was a spider. Charlotte's web. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you made a good case for time being the great villain. The villain of... Because mine was... Charlotte's C.S. Yes, Lewis. C.S. Yes, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> we had an interesting... I was traditional. I said Auntie Norris from Mansfield Park was a good villain. And then Brandon was all like, well, actually, it's C.S. Lewis. Gotcha. Hey, I didn't say it like that. And outside, the guy think outside. I had one up, Brandon. Yeah, like, <laughs> I think even farther outside the box, it's time. So, we'll be more traditional next year. Ah, you guys we were can... getting ready for Fitzgerald. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But time yeah. is the true villain of Charlotte's Web. Right, well, yeah. time is the true villain of literature, mm -hmm. of life. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so with all poetry, really, if you want to get at the sadness of it and all literature, it's that... We have these intense experiences. Everyone has these experiences that are beautiful and wonderful. And then you have to die and they're lost. And so we beat on against the currents, yeah. born ceaselessly into the... So we beat on boats against the current, born back ceaselessly into the past. Into the past. Nostalgia. And this is Gatsby's big project in the book is his belief that you can turn back time, that you can stop time, that you can go back and get the irredeemable past, mm -hmm. the historical past that is now beyond and gone. He thinks that he can go back and get Daisy as she was. Then you have the heartbreak of what ends up happening. It's just, it's devastating to watch it unfold. He dishes the needles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's a question for you, Brennan. Yeah. 
and maybe we won't answer this until next episode when we really dig into the book, but it's just something that occurs to me as you talk, is the metatextuality of this book. Uh, <laughs> I feel so important right now. Wait, let me put mm-hmm. in my monocle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the true villain is time. Um, <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> I think you might be onto something there, Nathan. Or is it Clive Staples? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, I sort of thought it was Andy Norris from. No. <laughs> oh, you buffoon! <laughs> I'm casting myself here as the humble do-gooder, and you guys as the snob. But we all know that's not true. Um, <laughs> here's my question: the self-awareness that is evinced. Oh, no. Don't ask it that way. (laughs) (laughs) The engagement, I don't know how to ask this in a non-pretentious sounding way. Just say it. The fact that Fitzgerald is engaging with the American dream and the American identity, and he's aware of it it as being a thing that he has to sort of take stock of. Mm -hmm. Is that something that has been present in American literature from the beginning? Or is that a new feature of modernism, that sort of uh, what the kids would call meta- quality well i mean it was it's been there at least as far as long as novelists as long as it was hip and cool for novelists to be Mm self-aware so it's a part of moby dick sure it's a a part of twain Twain, certainly huckleberry finn Mm -hmm. tom sawyer makes fun of it all the time completely self-aware i mean we listen to tom sawyer going down to texas Mm -hmm. it's fantastic Mm -hmm. twain's amazing Mm -hmm. it's all over that too by the way we got a letter from someone that sent us a christmas card actually very nice christmas card yeah. I don't remember what her name was off the top of my head. They said they were just encouraging us to give Twain another shot. I think because they'd listened to some episodes where we said Twain was... Susan. Mm-hmm. Yes. We got a Susan's nice Christ- from Maine. Nice Christmas card, Susan. Thank from you, Susan. Maine. Thank you very much. Merry Christmas, Susan. So we decided to give him another shot in yeah. the head. In the head. <laughs> I like Twain. Brendan likes Twain. Jake likes Twain. Twain. We don't think that he's... Uh, merely godless and merely a hater of everything we think he's a cynic and he has a lot of contempt for a lot of things but he wrote a lot of good stuff and he had a certain broken idealism anyway that would be my short answer to your your query susan very good answer nathan thank you while we're mentioning people that have said things we got two new imperious curse shout outs yes yes thank you to everyone Um, that has given you guys are the best yes and if you'd like to review us, then you can. Just go to Apple or whatever your podcast Look is. them up and give their names. Sweet. They deserve it. I think one of them was named Sid. <laughs> like the kid Sid, from Toy like, Story. Yeah. Yep. Just like the wonderful character from Toy, Toy Story. I'm sure that's who he's named after. Sid, your Pop-Tarts are ready. That's a line from Toy Story that's always stuck in my head. All right. <laughs> yep. There you go. Exactly. Rye.78 writes... My favorite podcast, the best friends you could ever not desire are these cheeky fellows. By no means am I under the imperious curse. Serving, yeah, bravo. And the day before that, serving two masters. The best friend you could ever not desire is definitely not these cheeky fellows. By no means am I under the imperious curse. Hey, it's for cows, but not for goats. There you go. Bravo. Those are some real fans there. We love you guys. Yep. Keep listening to the bitter end. Mm Mm-hmm. Today's episode will be 10 hours. Yep. Because I'm taking over. We're just getting started. This is my manifesto. This is your manifesto. We're going to build that wall. Are we going to build a wall, Brandon? Chastine for 2020. What would that be? I'm marrying a wall, actually. You are marrying a wall. Marry that wall. Mm -hmm. Marry that wall. Hashtag marry that wall. Lock her up. Lock her up. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> kind of weird in that context. Mary's an appropriate nickname for her. Mary is an appropriate nickname. From Meredith. Oh, yeah, that's true. Mary that wall. Mary wall. Mary that wall. That should be your hashtag. Mary that wall. M-E-R-I that wall. Good night, people. Good night. We'll see you next week. No, Brandon, you still have to fit into context. Oh, yeah. So there's some other things to do. Yes. So we had talked about modernism, right? We were talking. Oh, yeah, and that got us into the deep sadness. Zelda. Yep. To the deep sadness of life. Yes, the deep sadness of life. And you were now segueing me. Segueing me. Oh, I'm Radiohead. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Bleep. Bloop. That is a good impression. Thank you. Thank you, Radiohead. He's always here. Uh, segueing me back to something we need to talk about to understand Fitzgerald's mm-hmm. outlook on life because it's the way he would fall intensely mm-hmm. in love with women. Dun. So much that they would just shape his entire outlook. And so... um, That's not reminiscent of anything in the novel at all. No, not at all. And so his first one was a Ginevra? I wanted to say Ginevra, but it's Ginevra. Ginevra or Ginevra. Ginevra or Ginevra, yeah. Mm -hmm. That he met in Princeton and he was insanely in love with her. And in fact, she would become the model for Daisy, the model for characters like... uh, Amory Blaine's love interest in The Side of Paradise, his first one that drives him crazy as well. Mm-hmm. And so um, this was the first girl he would fall in love with. The next would be the famous one, Zelda. Mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. met her. Mm-hmm. Yes. He met her at a country club. Mm-hmm. You know, Fitzgerald was always living a little bit beyond his means. He did have some money because of his parents. I mean, he went to Princeton, which even at the time wasn't cheap. And so he was upper middle class, but he definitely wasn't an East Egg sort of person. Right. He was a West Egg sort of person. Mm-hmm. This actually, well, let's finish talking about the girls and we can talk about the socioeconomics of the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Zelda would be a driving force both behind his pursuit of literature because she wanted to have a fantastic famous husband mm-hmm. because she herself was very much like Daisy. She wanted this intense orgiastic life. So that's just a quick pause. Most people have probably heard of the 20s being called the Jazz Age. Mm-hmm. F. Scott Fitzgerald helped coin this, and the Jazz Age just meant exactly what you would think, actually. The intense parties in like hotels and these big houses, Gatsby sort of parties. That's what we, when we think of the 20s, we think of Gatsby sort of parties, where you would have all the, especially actors and directors from Hollywood coming out at these big balls and drinking champagne and getting wasted late into the night and dancing the foxtrot and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. then all the sort of stuff you, happens when you get drunk. And that was the 20s and they'd do that every night. And it was expensive and it, it was a quick way to kill yourself because your yep. liver would fail. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what happened to Fitzgerald. What was he, 42 or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he died young. But in the 20s, he lived this sort of life. And Zelda wanted this sort of life. She wanted the New York city life. She wanted to be at all the big parties. She wanted to be with with all the famous people. She wanted to be where um, it was happening, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You have this happening in the Harlem, Harlem Renaissance is kind of happening at the same time. The jazz is coming out of there and the rich socialites are appropriating it into their circles. And you got then that'll become the swing band music of the 30s and 40s, right? It's kind of the right history here. Yeah. Um, you know just as much about this 20s social age, probably social milieu mm-hmm. as I do. So check me if I'm wrong. Nights were getting longer and skirts were getting shorter. Exactly. Nights were getting stuff. longer. Yeah. Skirts were getting shorter. Mm-hmm. Scandal here, scandal there. Women had bobbed haircuts and uh, 
Flapper. It was the age of the flapper and the it yeah. girl. Yeah, that's right. And prohibition, and which prohibition. didn't do anything to stop drinking at all. No, it did nothing. And so, how would you put it? You had the conservatism mm-hmm. of the late 1900s, late 1800s, sorry, early 1900s, coming into and clashing with this new lifestyle that was coming out into the open. It was actually becoming socially acceptable. This was the first time that women started smoking cigarettes. Just within the last decade or two, they'd started to go to bars with men and drink with them. It was seen as scandalous, but the important thing to realize is it was scandal that was acceptable for certain ranks of people. Classes. Yeah. So the rich could get away with it. The people who were accepted into the rich circles, like the actors, actresses, golf players, these people who would hang with the rich, even though they might not be rich, Mm -hmm. but they were now socially acceptable into these circles, they would be allowed to do it as well. The poor would just be looked down on if they tried to do this. The middle class would still be straight-laced, right? And you kind of see this in Gatsby when when Gatsby's father comes to visit. He's kind of that straight-laced Midwestern man who, though, is amazed by the success of his son. But had he seen the success in the way his son got the success and what the success resulted in, he would have been horrified by it. Right. We also have this new influx of wealth into the nation, which means you have a bunch of people switching classes like yeah. Gatsby. Maybe you were getting there, but... Yeah. And so so that's the 20s, right? And you have the rich and the people who are becoming rich. You do have this influx of money, like you said, especially after the war. Mm-hmm. The war effort always helps boost the economy. So you had all these people with this extra cash that they didn't know what to do with. And so you would have these parties. Now, um, later in his life, Fitzgerald would actually rent a home on a peninsular finger. And on the other side of the harbor was another peninsular finger. And he would live with, his house was fairly modest, but surrounded by the merchant class who were kind of becoming the new. So think of uh, War and Peace when that timber guy comes to Levin's house. You mean Anna Karenina? Anna Karenina, sorry. The timber guy comes to Levin's house and he's becoming wealthy and mm-hmm. Levin kind of is looking down on him yeah. because he's like the old money. You see, you had this in America at the same time as well. And if you were kind of confused by what he was talking about with West Egg and East Egg, that's exactly what he's talking about. <coughs> you have the merchant class, the people who are coming into their money through bootlegging, through um, Hollywood, through all these things. And they're coming and they're buying their houses on this part of the Cape. And then on the other side of the sound, you would have the old money, like the Vanderbilts, the Buchanans in this book, right. represent sort of Vanderbilt money. And they had their homes on that part of the sound. And they rarely, notice in the book, they rarely go and hang out with the West Eggers. Right. right? The West Eggers are having their parties for themselves. But the East Eggers, the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, they're respectable and cold in their money. And they don't go and they don't have these sorts of parties. They have their own sorts of life choices they make. Right. So they well, have they like, have their parties. The like, um the book that when we first meet Tom, he's read some stupid tome on black people <laughs> rising and how white yeah. white culture. I think you should see that. It's easier for us to read that today as an indictment of Tom's racism. It's actually more about the fact. I think Fitzgerald probably intended to be more about the fact that Tom is insecure as as old money. Yeah, with new money and with social mores changing basically. That's right. And so it was a much more conservative way of looking at the world. Well, think of Jane Austen, mm-hmm. think of Tolstoy. Anytime you would have these higher crust parties, they would still have their parties, but they would hang out with their so- circle. Mm-hmm. And then they would have their little affairs on the side, their adulteries that they would commit with the gas station attendant's wife, right? Which is a big subplot of the Gatsby story. Mm-hmm. Wilson's wife. Right. Which was, what was it? Myrtle. Myrtle. And this was allowable because the rich were allowed to have their eccentricities and their 
uh, the way he would describe it at the towards the end of the book. The about Tom and Daisy breaking things and using them up. Yep, that's the famous line. Yeah, I don't remember how it goes exactly, but yeah, they were careless people, Tom and Daisy. They smashed up things and creatures, and then retreated back into their money or their vast carelessness or whatever it was that kept them together and let other people clean up the mess they had made. And that's the way the rich acted at the time was the Rockefellers could do pretty much whatever they wanted. Mm-hmm. I think the most famous story I think we have where it actually came into the limelight and horrified people that this was the case would have been with Kennedy, um, his brother, when he crashed that, when he crashed into the, and killed that girl. When Ted, mm-hmm. It was Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy, yeah. yeah. When he, yeah, yeah the, crashed um, into the river and yeah. escaped yeah. and fell <coughs> down, right? And he had no blame put on him, even though it's obviously he killed her. Right. It was mm-hmm. accidental manslaughter, and he should have been held responsible for it. That's that's what yeah, that's what Fitzgerald is trying to capture here, right. is that ability to just use others and then get away with it. And then the West, not really caring, West Egg, they're feeling insecure in relation to East Egg, but also knowing that they are America now. They are what America will be, and they are the future of America. And I mean, Fitzgerald was right to that extent. We really, Donald Trump to a kind of is an East Egger, mm-hmm. but he really is a West Egger that just now masquerades as an East Egger. Right. We really don't have that old money anymore in America. It's kind of gone. At least the respect that it would have carried at this time. Well, that's something that we mock now. I mean, it's yeah. a, yeah. I mean, but it was built into the very, it was built into the fabric of our nation. The Senate was supposed to be old money. Right. While the House was supposed to be those people who would eventually become the West Eggers. Right. The Senate was the House of Lords. The House was... The House of Representatives was, you know, the House of Commons. Right. So that's kind of the model it was supposed to be based on, but that has now been lost and died. And so Fitzgerald is capturing the death of this sort of social moment. And he's, I think he's not just capturing, he's showing us that it's dying. That the Tom Buchanans and the Daisies, they're not going to last. They are sort of this ephemeral, pretty picture of the past that will die. Well, I guess we could talk about The Great Gatsby for just a Mm -hmm. minute, the book itself. It was written in 1925. It was his third book. Mm-hmm. Actually, the only book that sold well for Fitzgerald. Oh, the last thing I also wanted to mention to him, and this will go right hand in hand with this. Um, his most f- successful book was This Side of Paradise. It sold a lot, made a lot of money. Right. And he and Zelda used that to foster their lifestyle and support their lifestyle because she really liked that sort of 20s flapper lifestyle, like you said. Right. And another thing that Fitzgerald did is he would write a lot of short stories for magazines that mm-hmm. he was that he hated. He did not really, he was not happy with them at all. And in fact, he had a very close friendship with Ernest Hemingway, who he met when he was in Paris with the expatriates. And Hemingway just hated the fact that he was willing to sell his stories for so cheap. Well, not for so cheap, that he was willing to sell his stories just so he could keep up the lifestyle that he wanted. And then eventually he would also get into Hollywood. And The Last Tycoon, one of his novels, is based on his experiences in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And where he would just, kind of like uh, Faulkner, who was very similar in his alcoholism, he had to find a way to feed his addiction. And so the way he did it was by selling out his art. Right. He was no Ishiguro who just writes a novel like every five years. Right. He was writing short story after short story. And he wasn't doing it just for the pleasure of doing it like Dickens. He was doing it and then feeling the scorn and the hate, hating himself for it. And that would just make him get sicker and dive deeper into his alcoholism until finally it killed him. Some people think he had tuberculosis, but most just think he died of alcohol because it'll kill you in the end, kids. Yep. So depressing life, kind of life you would expect a man who wrote The Great Gatsby to live. 
At first, the Great Gatsby was supposed to be called, I found this interesting. Oh, uh, that's some weird name, Tremalchio in West Egg. <laughs> and the Tremalchio is, or Tremalchio is actually, he's, comes from the Satyricon of Petronius, who, and he was in that play, kind of a Gatsby of Rome, where he would have these huge parties, but his parties were all about the gluttony. And so Fitzgerald thought it was interesting to have this guy who everybody thought was a Tremalchio, but yet he'd never drink. Right. He never participated in any of the things he was surrounding himself with because he was only doing it because he thought wrongly that the East Eggers would want to come to this big party. And yet they would never lower themselves to hang out with those sorts of West Eggers socialites. And so he just completely misunderstood Daisy's mentality. Yeah. Because she comes to his party and she is not impressed. That's where Nick, the narrator, right, Mm -hmm. Nick? Yeah. He says... um, that something was lost there. Mm-hmm. When, at that party, something was lost. And it was because you had these two social worlds that just could not mix. Right. And Gatsby's threat to Tom is the fact that Gatsby will eventually not only take Daisy, but take the need for Tom away completely. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's the America that was coming. Uh, yeah, but the interesting thing about it is that he's also showing the death of that system at the right. same time. Yeah. So... Even if he didn't realize that's what he was doing, he was at least heralding it. Mm-hmm. So you can see in from the beginning that the Gatsby was meant, the Great Gatsby was meant to have you think certain things about Gatsby and then have the rug pulled out from under you. Right. So by calling him this Tremalchio figure, you if you're a literary person, you would have thought, well, wow. So he's this is going to be like some racy parties with lots of s- sex and drugs and alcohol, mm-hmm. and Tremalchio is going to be right there in the middle of it all. But that's not the case. And Fitzgerald plays with that. The, uh, the discordant. The discordant, yeah. Mm-hmm. The, he plays with that discordance, thank you, throughout the whole book. I guess then the only thing is how this outlook of life, and we'll be talking about this, how Fitzgerald's outlook of life then affects the way he can tell a story. Because mm-hmm. I do think it affects the way he can tell a story and the right. way that he can imagine a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, let's maybe we can leave that as a cliffhanger for next yeah. time because I want to talk about that All right. with you. And Jake. And Jake. Both the both of you. Like that's why we do this podcast. Hey Brendan, can I give a piece of context? Yeah. I would like to talk about Max Perkins. Yes. Fitzgerald's editor. If you haven't read it, folks, I highly recommend a book by A. Scott Berg. It's called Max Will or no, it's called Max Perkins, Editor of Genius. For anyone who's interested in writing or interested in the twenties or interested in the lost generation or Anything like that, I highly, 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 highly recommend this book. It really shows you how powerful of an influence an editor can have because Maxwell Perkins was a gentleman that worked for Scribner. Scribner was famous for publishing boring old stuff like Henry James, of all things, Brandon. Boo. Boo back then. Just dusty, creaky, old-fashioned kind of publishing house. And Maxwell Perkins was a visionary who wanted to publish young guys his first big success was meeting Fitzgerald and Perkins. If, if anyone subscribes to the theory of genius that says, you know, the one great man does it all himself, it's not true. It's never been true of anyone. It's certainly not true of the 20th century's most famous writers. Fitzgerald had to work heavily with Perkins. And it's not that Perkins was the genius either. I think that it just proves that a little collaboration goes a long way. Perkins helped Fitzgerald revised an unwieldy, not quite working manuscript into the side of paradise. He apparently, Great Gatsby was 
an okay book. And then Perkins said, you got to do this and this and this and this and this. Hmm. It's been a while since I read the novel, so I don't, or since the biography of Perkins. I don't remember exactly what all the fun ins and outs were, but if you want to know him, it's a fun to read about. Perkins also met Hemingway through Fitzgerald, actually. Fitzgerald introduced him to Hemingway, and that's how Hemingway got his start. It was Perkins that discovered Thomas Wolfe that I think you could argue he created Thomas Wolfe because Thomas Wolfe just wrote a bunch of garbage, like the teeth of men devour the earth of... I mean, Thomas Wolfe is great, but he just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote, and Perkins was like, dude, you got to shape this into a thing. A little restraint goes a long a way. A little restraint goes a long way. Actually, it's got to actually be a book. It can't just be like a bunch of junk that you wrote. Uh, not to not to denigrate Thomas Wolfe, he's fine. But my point is, Perkins was a hands-on editor, and he had a lot to do with shaping the careers of a lot of the people that we think of as being the famous that famous generation of writers. And it's just a really interesting <laughs> story. So I recommend reading Max Perkins, Editor of Genius. If there's a group out there, what you're saying, mm-hmm. if there's a group out there that wants to become the next great writers, what they really need to do is find the next great editor. Yeah, I actually think that's true. Well, if you're a young student writer that resents your editor, then fail. Or your teacher. Shame yeah. on you. Or your teacher, yes. <laughs> I say this as someone who has taught and edited, so perhaps I'm <laughs> biased, <laughs> and who works to edit things for the great Warhorn media that we all love so much. Maybe So maybe I'm biased in favor of the editor, but I just still think it's always, it's just always interesting to peek behind the curtain and see how the sausage is made and see how these things that apparently spring unbidden you know, through inspiration actually are the result of hard work and a lot of thought by more than one person. And yep. per- Perkins was a genius. I mean, I, you could argue that we would not have Hemingway, we'd not have Fitzgerald, we wouldn't have Mann, we wouldn't have at least a handful of others, if not for Maxwell Perkins. So Ford Maddox. Yeah, I think Ford Maddox Ford was another one. Yeah. That's fantastic, Nathan. Thanks, Brandon. Thanks for that little moment of Nathan. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. And now for a little moment of the credits. So you're going to say moment of Jake. Jake, what do you have to add? Nothing. Oh, shoot. The credit music always already started, but guys, we have to do Patreon. Hilarious shout outs. Hey, hilarious needle drop thing. <laughs> okay. Wait. <laughs> no. All right. <laughs> All right, guys. Real quick, let's shout out our patrons. We have the immortal Chelsea E. The immortal Chelsea. And by that, I mean the immortal Chelsea C. I the immortal apologize. Chelsea C, Nathan. No, I always say the immortal Chelsea E, don't I? You do. I Maybe a middle. Chelsea, well, she likes it. She hasn't stopped giving to us. Yeah. So, hey, Immortal Chelsea E. The Immortal Chelsea E. Nathan, not me, of course. Nathan, not Nathan. Of course. And Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and Little Annie Oakley. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Little babies, Timothy and X. Little babies, Timothy and X. Uh, the inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda the Lovebirds. Little baby Brandon and Jeremy. Little baby Brandon and Jeremy. John and Jill the Lovebirds and little baby Max. John and Jill the Lovebirds and little baby Max. The Keith Master. The Keith Master. Hey, Jake, what do you do when you need to have something transported? I call my friends at David's Mighty Men Trucking. That's right. David's Man Mighty... This, you, David's Man Mighty Trucking. Man, that's Mighty Trucking. Man, that's Mighty Trucking, David. Hey, uh, Beth, my beloved mother, Beth. Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. The incandescent Meredith. The incandescent Meredith. <laughs> Build that wall. Build that wall. 
Build that wall. Lock her up. Um, <laughs> marry that wall. Marry that wall. Uh, marry that wall. Hashtag marry that wall. Um, Joanna the Jolly. Joanna the Jolly, yes. Joanna the Jolly. Sorry, Joanna. We're still working on a good name for you. Maya! 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 Hi, Maya. Rockin' Ryan and... Jumpin' Judy. Rockin' Ryan and Jumpin' Judy. Not sure I'm crazy about that one either, but we're working on it. Danny the Dude. Danny the Dude. DJ Sammy G. DJ Sammy G. Uh, Jay and Katie, who are gold and love cheese. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese. And little babies, Junia, Phoebe, and Trey? Trey. That's right. Junia, Phoebe, and Trey. Hey, hey, guys. Nice recall, Nathan. Thank you. Benji, Benny T, and Dana T. Benji, Benny T, and Dana Tiberius T. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, and little baby Silas. Eric and Catherine, the lovebirds, and little baby Silas. Dr. X and Lady X. Professor X and Lady X. And presenting the dark hooded lord of death, Jeremy. (laughs) (laughs) The dark hooded lord of death. Jeremy. He said he wanted a good name. <laughs> You're here, sir. Welcome. <laughs> I like the dark hooded Lord of Death. That's great. Jeremy. He's gonna love it. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll. I think I breaking the alliteration. Kind of dark hooded. Yeah, Lord well, of death. not everybody gets alliteration. I, I've been it's trying true, to break it's the. True. We got the the incandescent Meredith, dark hooted yeah, Lord yeah, of Death, Lily of the Valley, and then really the alliteration. Jane, Katie, or cold enough to the dark hooded Lord of Death. <laughs> Smoke <laughs> machine. Yeah. The fact is, alliteration was the cheap and easy way out. Yeah, somebody. alliteration is what has condemned poor Rock and Ryan and Jumpin' Judy. We gotta do something better for Ryan here. You know, Ryan... Roundhouse Ryan. We need some facts about you, Ryan. Shoot us a message. Actually, I kind of like Roundhouse Ryan. <laughs> Roundhouse Ryan and with some cool... Like, Roadhouse Ryan. And Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, Jiu-Jitsu Judith and Roundhouse Ryan. Judo Judith. <coughs> Judo Judith. Judo Judith and... Roundhouse Ryan. Roundhouse Ryan. All right. All right, that might be if if I remember that next time, then that'll be their thing. You guys, it gets to be in our electric guitar section. Yep. yep. Oh shoot, what did I call Jeremy? The dark hooded Lord of Death. <laughs> the dark, <laughs> the dark hooded Lord of Death. Jeremy Chastine. Chastine. Yeah, we may or may not be familiar with Jeremy. He may or may not be related to one of us. Hey, goodbye, folks. Uh, today, the booking was written and produced by me, acted and performed and improvised by Jake and Brandon. Lots of good research and context-y kind of stuff done by Brandon. Hey. Along with natural intelligence. Hey. And... Not everybody's got it. Nope. They do not. Some people are stupid as a bag of rocks. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. All right. Hey, go to patreon.com forward slash the booking and support the booking. And you can get cool stuff. Just now, while we were doing this, I interrupted us by posting a video on Patreon of us all talking and stuff. Let's give the people another review that they can do. And let's do it by all saying. So, this is a review. You can go on Apple. And you can make this review, and I'm going to say a word. Brandon's going to say a word. Jake's going to say a word. We're going to just do this. I first person to post this is my best friend. Yeah, first person to post this is Brandon's best friend. Yeah. <clears throat> I jolly well hate anyone who doesn't 
adore the people who are Nazis. Nope, you can't post that. Let's start over. <laughs> Let me start over. Hey, what is existence? <laughs> Help. <laughs> I'm not under the imperious curse. That's I like that one. one. Right there. Hey, what is existence? Help. <laughs> I, I'm by no means under the imperious curse. All right, let's try that one more. You're welcome to post that, and I hope that you do. But we'll give you one more. I think that you might possibly want to eat pickles today. <laughs> All right. By no means am I under the imperious curse. <laughs> Let's try this one more time. I think that you might want to eat pickles today. <laughs> you? By no means am I under the imperious curse. You really, 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 really should really eat pickles <laughs> by no means am i under the imperious curse today <laughs> all right let's try that we got to get one that's actually sort of works this is a review oh hello hi. listener <laughs> all right let's try this one more time we can do this hi friend thanks for liking <laughs> you keep trying to make us think. Oh, oh yeah. Hi, friends. Thanks for. Yeah. Why are you pointing at me? I'm trying to think what I should do. <laughs> All right, let me start this over. <laughs> Why should? Wait, what was yours? Why you should you listen to the booking because it is really, 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 really awesome. And also, it boasts three pickles. <laughs> Parentheses. <laughs> By no means am I under the imperious curse. Closed okay. parentheses. There it is. We got it. <laughs> See you next week, folks. <laughs>